0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12 month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: The cardigan moving. Caught. Touchdown. Canyon Drake into the end zone. Second and seven. Jackson Surveys under pressure. Throws, and it's in the back of the end zone. Hold in there by Likely.
0: Likely went from definitely for the Baltimore Ravens last night as they defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get week eight started. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at Google Store. Dot com. We say good morning to the audience on Peacock, Sirius XM 85. I think we're live right now. Sky Sports NFL, our friends in the UK and in Ireland, a podcast audience wherever you may be. Welcome into the show. Peter King here as always on an in-season Friday. Peter, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning, Mike. That was a uh, was a pretty educational ball game last night. Kind of a crazy game. The Ravens finally had a good second half after having four duds in a row. Uh, Well, maybe even more than that. But I think as good a day as it was for the Ravens, especially knowing that it appears that if Mark Andrews is hurt, they can survive because of this fourth-round rookie, Isaiah Likely. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but... You know, the other, on the other side of the coin, Mike, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of 2019 vibes with the Patriots from Tom Brady last night. And, you know, if you don't remember 2019, that was the year that the Patriots started off like a house of fire, undefeated uh, through midseason, and then struggled, stumbled, limped to the finish line and lost a home game, in the first day of the first game of the playoffs uh, to the Tennessee Titans. And Brady threw the pick six to Logan Ryan to end the game. And the reason I say that Brady reminds me of that is that it was after that game that most people said, well, Brady is either done or he's done in New England. And he wasn't done, but he was done in New England. And now I'm sure people are going to be saying the same thing about Brady.
0: And it was those 2019 Patriots that started off, Peter, 8-0 until they ran into Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And last night it was Tom Brady and the the Patriots. Three years later, it's still hard to separate the two. Yeah, you still do it, don't you? And the Buccaneers ended up facing Lamar Jackson and far different circumstances than eight and oh they were three and four entering this game they had lost four out of five could have been five in a row that very questionable roughing the pass to call against Grady Jarrett took away the opportunity for the Falcons to come back and win the one game the Buccaneers have won since starting two and zero. Oh. and it looked at first Peter as if the Buccaneers We're figuring it out. They're up 10-3. to They were having the better of the play. The Ravens were sluggish. The Buccaneers were looking the way we thought they were going to look all year, the way they'd looked the year before and the year before that. And the Ravens just kind of systematically stuck with their plan, and it started to work, and they just wore down the Tampa Bay defense. That was a key. You know, for all the failings of the Baltimore defense in the fourth quarter, the the double-digit leads – They've surrendered, and it could have happened again last night. Double-digit lead, 24-13. Uh-oh, what is the Ravens' defense going to do now? The key is the offense needs to do its job. The offense needs to score when it has the opportunity. When it was 21-13, no, not 21-13. It was 17-13. Field goal makes it 20-13, still has a different vibe. One score. You get the touchdown instead of the field goal different vibe. The Ravens offense came through last night in a way that made it easier for the defense cuz the defense still wasn't clamping down on the Buccaneers. Tom Brady was moving the ball down the field and he still has that that element to him, that urgency to him when he's behind late and there's still a window of opportunity. There's a lot of quarterbacks that don't kind of focus in the way he does and everything around him shuts out and he knows, I've been here before, I've done this before. We don't see that a lot in today's NFL. We see it from him. But the Ravens defense just did enough to hold off what would have been an incredible comeback. For a while, I'm thinking, are we going to go to overtime? Are, are they going to really do this? I mean, Tom Brady still has enough left that he can convince you
1: there's a chance. And, you know, Brady was not feeble last night. But, you know, the problem that the Bucks have is that they just don't have enough, uh, I, I don't even want to say weapons. They don't have enough alternatives on offense right now to scare anybody. That plus the fact that, you know, the offensive line, you can say whatever you want. You can question Brady, and man, he's showing his age. Hey, you know, he never gets out of the way. He never, you know, this. there's nothing rare about him getting sacked. You know, there's a, and, and it's, there is a tangible difference this year in how Tom Brady is getting hit in the pocket and how he's getting forced to throw in uncomfortable ways from his past couple of years in Tampa. There's just no way around it. And so that's why, to me, uh, You know, the biggest thing, I'm not saying the die was cast when he lost his two guards, and then on the second day of training camp, Ryan Jensen went out, perhaps for the year, who knows. But, you know, that, they just have not been able to overcome that. When you have a totally immobile quarterback um, who is making decisions fast, I thought Amazon did a good job last night in talking about the fact that Brady is getting rid of the ball as fast as he ever has in his career this year. And last night, it was even a tenth of a second faster. So it's clear coming into this game that Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady got a, had a little skull session at some point in the last few uh, days and you know agreed that, hey, I know we're throwing the ball way too fast. And I don't have enough time to see all my options, but we got to even throw it faster now, and that obviously played into the hands of the of the Ravens. And and Mike, the other thing is, you know, again, I, I think Leonard Fournette has been a really good player for this team, an unexpectedly good player for this team. Uh, he loves playing with Brady, helped him win a Super Bowl, all that. But the bottom line is. If he's averaging in the twos, which he did again last night, the running game is just simply not going to work. Yeah, nine carries
0: for 24 yards and a touchdown last night. But you're right, that's not good enough. They need more of a running game to keep the defense off balance so they can make the passing game go. Remember when Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay? The question was, how is Brady and his mobility, or lack thereof, going to mesh with the Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit, hold the ball a little bit longer so something down the field pops open? And you still see Brady uncork the deep ball every once in a while, and he still has it, although a couple of them last night were underthrown. There was one throw to Mike Evans down the left sideline and Kirk Herbstreet said the defensive back did a good job of catching up. The reason he caught up is the ball was underthrown. There was a deep ball to Scotty Miller that drew an interference flag. Scotty Miller sighting. I don't know what happened to that guy. He shows up last night with a deep ball and it's underthrown and the defensive back hits him and it's a long pass interference foul. So you know, Brady still has it. This is the one that was underthrown to Mike Evans, where the defensive back caught up because the ball was underthrown. I mean, but he's still got his arm. You hit the nail on the head with the mobility. And, and you see him from time to time moving around in the pocket, stepping up. You know, it's the old Tom Brady, that just kind of magician of sliding around and finding time. But, you know, he got some misfires, too. There could have been multiple interceptions in the end zone dropped picks. It was like the Steelers on Sunday night. They could have closed the door on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. The Ravens could have several times and and blew those opportunities. But, uh, but still, still, I want to say this because, you know, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about the game last night and I was rattling off all the stats. Brady's three games under or two games under 500 for the first time in his career. Never even three games under 500. Two games, amazing. Two games under 500 for the first time in his career. Are you kidding me? Three straight losses for the first time since 2002 in 20 years. He hasn't lost three straight games, and for the first time in his career, he's lost five of six. And I was rattling all this off to my wife, and she said he's still Tom Brady. And and that's the thing we have to remember here. And Peter, I, I just, I think it's dangerous. To write off the Buccaneers. They're in the worst division right now in football. Based upon wins and losses. So they're still the favorite to win that division. I think whoever wins the Panthers-Falcons game on Sunday. Is going to be sitting in pretty good position to compete with them. But I'd still pick the Bucs out of the other three teams. And so you're the four seed. Well they won the Super Bowl as the five seed. Once you get to single elimination time. That's when Tom Brady. Has an edge over Jalen Hurts, over Dak Prescott, over any other quarterback he's gonna face. Cause he's been there, he's done that, and he's not freaked out by the moment. And he still has that voice and authority in the locker room that he can help his teammates not be freaked out by the moment, too. And if they just get in, I I, I I'm not gonna rule out the possibility of the Buccaneers getting hot in January. So all this stuff now, it makes for an interesting season because we're not used to it. But everything they want to do is still in front of them. And I saw enough flashes of it last night. Not not nearly enough to be successful when January rolls around. They got work to do. But there's enough flashes of it last night to tell me that it's still there if they can figure out how to
1: make that happen more often. Mike, you talk about the Carolina Panthers And and the Atlanta Falcons. And to me, the amazing thing about the NFC South right now is that one week ago today, when we were doing this show, the Carolina Panthers had the first pick in the draft. That's, I mean, if the season ended after six weeks, they'd have had the first pick in the draft. On Sunday, they will play to take the lead in the NFC South. And a lot of people will say, well, wait a second. They're only tied for it. Wait a minute. If they win this game on Sunday, if they beat Atlanta, they're 3-0 and in division games. And so that would put them atop the division. They'd be 3-5, and but they'd be 3-0 and in division games. So that's how crazy this is. And you and I probably still think, if, if, if we had to bet right now, will the Carolina Panthers have a top five pick in the NFL next April, in the NFL draft next April? I would bet yes. You probably would too. But whatever. That's how crazy it is. They've gone from the first pick in the draft to a win gives them first place in one of the worst divisions we've seen in a long time.
0: And if the Saints happen to beat the Raiders on Sunday and the Panthers do beat the Falcons, all four teams will be three and five through eight games. And that's one of the things that, as a fan, I love about this season because you never know what's going to happen. But the one trend that is sticking is the Buccaneers are struggling. Here's Tom Brady from after last night's game talking about whether or not there's time to turn things around in Tampa. Do you
1: feel that there's still enough time to turn this thing around? Is there a quick fix?
0: I mean, we've got to go earn it. We've got to go, you know, it's, it's, I don't think you can, uh, you know, erase what happened the last eight weeks. You know, we got to, we got to dig deep, see what we're all about, come to work, try to improve, and uh, like I said, give ourselves a better chance to win. You know, he was robotic and perfunctory in his post-game press conference. I saw Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Report that Tom Brady spent a long time just kind of sitting there staring straight ahead David Putty style in the locker room after the game. It's got to be tough for him. He's not used to this. And we know all of the other stuff that's going on and all of the strange things that have happened and the very uncharacteristic Tom Brady behaviors the 11-day absence in training camp, going to Robert Kraft's wedding two weeks ago today on a Friday night and not rejoining his team for Saturday walkthrough and meetings, meeting up with them in Pittsburgh instead, and they lost to the Steelers as nine-and-a-half-point favorites. There's still Peter Tom Brady. As my wife said, he's still Tom Brady. And I I am not going to rule out them finding a way. But... It really is. It's not quite Willie Mays, but it's hard to watch, especially when he tries to run. There was that play where he tried to scramble last night. And, and I've said for the past five years, I, it, it looks like a slow motion NFL films highlight that should be narrated by John Facenda anytime Tom Brady tries to run. But it was even more noticeable last night when he tried to pull the ball down and take off. I mean, the, the guy's clearly 45. He got hit a lot last night, too. He's going to be feeling it this morning more than he ever has before in his life.
1: I'm sure he is, Mike, but I don't think he looks any different, really, than he looked when he was 25. He couldn't run then either. And it was all about uh, moving in the pocket, laterally uh, especially, and just getting out of the way of the rush. But he's never been a guy who's going to scramble. You know, I I found myself thinking, watching that game last night, and I'm really, really thinking that – It really reminded me a lot of that Tennessee playoff game, you know, three years ago. The reason it did is because that night the Patriots could get nothing consistently going. They'd move the ball a little bit, but it was always stop and start, stop and start. And that's why, to me, when I look at this team right now, I think two things have to happen with Tampa. Number one, look. I understand their defense was on the field a lot last night. They were a paper mache defense in the second half of this game. And I understand they're not getting any help from the offense. I get it. But, you know, you saw one one time yesterday, you know, the announcers pointed out, I forget, I think it was Al, pointed out that uh, Devin White was Defensive Player of the Month in September, he won't be defensive player of the month after that game last night. I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, their linebacker play last night on the second level, you know, they gave up so many runs. And Mike, listen, normally you say, well, you know, the Ravens, they will run the ball as well as Lamar Jackson runs it. Non-Lamar Jackson rushes last night 188 yards, you know, and so that's why to me, you know, we are going to spend 97% of our time t- about the Bucks talking about Brady. I get it. But man, that defense let him down in a big way last night.
0: Yeah, 65 yards for Gus Edwards in his second game back from last year's Absence due to injury. Kenyon Drake was 62. Justice Hill with 28. Devin Duvernay had a couple of runs for 33 yards. And Lamar Jackson only, only, as if that's a knock, but it's not. 43 yards. We're just used to more in the running game from Lamar Jackson. But this is what we've been saying the Ravens need to do. They need more guys to step up in the running game. And they have, even with J.K. Dobbins on injured reserve, possibly coming back later in the year, which would make them even more dangerous with Dobbins and Edwards and Drake and Hill they could become even more dangerous offensively.
1: Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines.
0: The defense of the Buccaneers. Peter, is it as simple as Todd Bowles was the coordinator last year. He was completely in charge of the defense. Bruce Arians didn't do anything with it. And Bowles could focus entirely and exclusively all of his time and attention on making that defense as good as it can be. Coaching, teaching, preparing, executing. And now that he's the head coach... You're not spending as much time, if you're Todd Bowles, on the defense. And maybe it's starting to show. Is it, sometimes it's, you know, we complicate this game. Sometimes things are simple. Could it be that simple?
1: I don't think so, Mike. And I'll tell you why. You know, they are, I would say, almost in every metric, they're not as good as they were a year ago. They're not as good against the run they're certainly not as good. And again, look, their secondary last night, you know, was missing three or four starters. I get it. But this is a team right now that, you know, if you look at the way the Bucks play, you know, they need their defense to give them advantages. Okay, they need their defense to give them momentum. And when you look at how their defense has played, You know, so far in eight games, given up 13 touchdown passes, which is above the pace of last year, worse than the pace. Mike, the one thing that you really thought of this Tampa defense that they would be able to do is to stop the run. And they're allowing 4.8 a carry. And, you know, a lot worse than last year. And so I, I just would say, None of us are inside that building. We don't know what you know what is the uh, level of to- what's the amount of time that, that Todd Bowles now has been taken away from the hands on with the defense, maybe it's significant. I, I just can't believe that the guys who have played so well there uh, over the years, especially in that front seven, you know, have been as leaky as they are. And, and look, the second half of that game last night, I mean, I, I was thinking about this during the game, so I went back right after the game and I looked it up. In their last four second halves, okay, because we've been talking about how the Ravens have been blowing games at an alarming clip. Their last four games in the second half, they scored 29 points. Lamar Jackson threw one touchdown pass collectively over that four games. And last night, Lamar Jackson, two touchdown passes, and they scored 24 points. So they basically all but equaled their output over the last four games in the second half in one night on a warm, humid night in Tampa where the team with staying power was not the team that practices and plays in that warmth and humidity. It's the team from up north that came in and really rubbed Tampa Bay's faces in
0: it. And it is surprising that between the two teams, the Buccaneers were the ones that seemed to be dealing with the short week in a bad way, wearing down as the game went on after playing two games between Sunday and Thursday. Uh, and maybe there was some spillover from what happened on Sunday. You lose 21-3 to the Carolina Panthers, and you can't wipe that taste out of your mouth quickly enough to be ready to play full four quarters. I don't know. But we saw it last night. And, Peter, on the on the issues against the run, they had Ndamukong Sue last year. They have Akeem Hicks this year, but he's been injured. And they miss Akeem Hicks. But okay. they have Vita Veya. And what's weird is... In the past two years, there have been times when Vita Vea was injured and the defense was still good enough. I mean, Vita Vea is great, but they need somebody next to him who can get it done. And if they can get Hicks back and get him going and get him playing the way that he used to now, you know, one of the realities is you get to a point where you can't play the way you used to. But that, that run defense really is the problem, and it allows a defense. It forces a defense to stay on the field systematic dismantling and it keeps Tom Brady on the sideline during the moment in the game where he still has that reservoir of will and urgency and skill and ability and he lives for those moments. But if the defense isn't stopping the other team, it really doesn't matter. Todd Bowles, mild-mannered said earlier this week he's been doing some yelling and screaming. He probably did a little bit more last night behind closed doors. Here he is on the possibility that in the midst of this 3-5 and five debacle, there'll be changes on the coaching staff. Have a listen.
1: You got some time off now, kind of a mini buy if you will, 10 days for the next game. Would you consider any changes to your coaching staff or play calling or any of that? We're going to talk about everything this weekend. You know, when you're not playing well, everything's on the table for us, and we'll discuss it as a staff.
0: And this is one of the benefits of that Thursday night game. On the back end, you have some extra time you have a chance to look in the mirror. You have a chance to self-scout. You have a chance to figure out what's going right, what's going wrong, how to do more of the things that are going right, do less of the things that are going wrong. So we'll see. They got the Rams back in Tampa Bay next. And it's not like the Rams are the same team they were last year either. But, man, this one feels like nine days away, but this one feels like if the Bucks are going to do it, and then I can't keep reminding myself they're in the NFC South they could still lose to the rams and they could turn around and be okay but at some point you got to stop the bleeding at some point you got to you got to get a win you can't just get to 3 and 12 and say well we're still in the division hunt even though maybe they would be at 3 and 12 at some point you got to win a game and having this extra time puts them in the best position possible to be ready
1: for the next game to be played you know mike and then after the rams the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go to Munich for the first ever NFL game on German soil, regular season game on German soil. And I only mention that because, you know, there were 2 million requests for tickets for that game. And they're going to want Tom Brady to arrive in Munich the way that Paul McCartney and John Lennon arrived in New York 60 years ago. And, you know, Tom Brady and the Bucs are going to want to say, okay, we're here to play a football game. And this is not, uh, you know, a celebration. It's going to be a pretty weird thing. Plus, they're playing the Seahawks. When this game was scheduled, you look at it and you say, oh, walk over for Tampa. It might be a walk over for the other guys now. But... I I think the next, obviously, the Rams game is vital. They're all going to be vital now. But this is all of a sudden a very, very tricky part of the schedule for a team that's playing poorly. And, you know, even though the Rams are a much lesser team, uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure that, that you know, that's going to be the ultimate... You know, what do the odds makers say about that game? I I truly don't have any idea, you know, especially if the Rams play well against the Niners this weekend. And it's going to be a
0: challenge for Todd Bowles and the coaching staff to keep the players focused on that game because you're going to have guys, as this week unfolds, maybe grousing a little bit about having to pack up and go to Germany. Why are we going to Germany? I don't want to go to Germany. They got to get that thought out of the locker room, focus on the next game, worry about the trip to Germany. After the Rams come to town in nine days, an important injury note for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Shaq Barrett has an Achilles injury that doesn't look good. They're reportedly doing an MRI to see whether or not the Achilles is torn. Usually that's one that you can figure out without an MRI because your Achilles tendon is either there or it's not. So I don't know if it's partial. I don't know what the deal is, but they may be without Shaq Barrett for an extended period of time. If not the rest of the season. Okay. The Ravens. They're now five and three. They're now finding a way to hang on and win games. Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, who was under a lot of fire for those blown double digit fourth quarter leads. He got a game ball last night in the locker room. But it was the offense and Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator that helped make it easier for the defense by getting those points as you rattled off the stats second half performance unbelievable 35 plays 297 yards 102 rushing 16 first downs all in the second half they scored on their first four possessions starting with the third quarter that's the difference in the game they were sluggish they were sleepwalking they woke up and they got it going and uh, if we can see that kind of play in the second half from the Ravens on a regular basis they're going to be the team to beat in the AFC North, and they're going to be a real contender when January rolls around in the
1: AFC, Peter. You know, Mike, it's, you know, I think after after you watch a game like this, because we do this, there's only 17 of them. So after each game, it feels like you want to make a definitive judgment on the game and where that team stands. The good news for the Ravens, in my opinion, coming out of this game last night, is that all through training camp, you know what you heard? Isaiah Likely is really a good, threatening alternative to Mark Andrews. Well, now you get Andrew's shoulder hurt, and you you really don't know is Andrew's going to miss some time? Is he going to be okay? Is he going to be in trouble? To try to make, uh, you know, to try to make an impact the rest of the year. But, Mike, I said before we, we talk about Isaiah Likely, I, I just need to tell you a story about Isaiah Likely and what happened in the draft this year. So, every year on on draft weekend, I try to go and get inside a team. And this year, the Baltimore Ravens had six fourth-round draft choices. And so, in many cases, the Ravens over the years have gotten fat with these middle-round picks from compensatory picks and trades and all that. So, here they were. And as the draft went on, and as they kept going and going through this fourth round, they had made four picks already. Jordan Stout, the the punter, went at number 130 overall. And so... The, the next pick for the Baltimore Ravens was number 30, 139. They had two firm trade offers. One of them was from uh, Kansas City, the other from Jacksonville. And But Eric DaCosta, the GM, had gathered all these picks. He had a bunch of guys he wanted to pick. And right now, they wanted to take Calvin Austin, a little smurfy wide receiver from Memphis, and then it picked number 138, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Calvin Austin. And somebody in the draft room basically uttered an expletive and said, you got to be kidding me. So the Ravens really didn't know what to do. You know, they had really counted on ha- having Calvin Austin. But at that moment, maybe a couple of minutes into it, John Harbaugh said to Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, hey, we like this guy likely a little bit. Even though we've just taken a tight end, Charlie Kolar from Iowa State, who's been hurt this year, even though we've just taken a tight end, what do you think of likely? Can you find something for him? And he said, oh, yeah. And they picked him because they thought that he had this wide receiver, tight end vibe that would really mesh well with the big, lumbering, but athletic uh, Mark Andrews. And so they are being rewarded now for taking a guy 139th when they didn't have a great need at tight end. But they took him, best player available, who was a combination wide receiver tight end. And last night, I'm not saying they wouldn't have won the game without Isaiah Likely, but he made some crucial plays down the stretch. And in addition, he got the toe-tap touchdown in the end zone that was vital in the second half. So I think Isaiah Likely now going forward, now that he's had his welcome to the NFL big game, he becomes a guy down the stretch. If the Ravens are going to beat Cincinnati in this division, they're going to need some performances like that last night from Isaiah Likely.
0: Six catches, 77 yards, and that was a great catch at the back of the end zone because of the fact that Lamar Jackson was on the move. When you're in the end zone and you're running around trying to find a spot, you got to be ready for the ball to come out at any instant when Lamar Jackson starts moving around. Isaiah likely was ready. He got the catch. He got the feet down. And then, Peter, he made a fairly critical play at the very end of the game. The onside kick didn't mess around. Ball's bouncing. And he grabbed it and made it look easy. That's one thing that is very hard to do, is making the recovery of an onside kick look easy. All the pressure is on you in that moment. The game is potentially riding on your ability to grab this ball when it's squibbing around in a way that it ordinarily doesn't when you're trying to catch it. And he was authoritative, decisive, and he got it done. And I'm sure that's going to win him some points with John Harbaugh and company because it kept Tom Brady from having that one last chance. I mean, he really did make it look easy and routine. And anyone who watches football knows that recovering an onside kick is anything but easy and routine,
1: Peter. And, you know, I think the one thing that it says to his team is that you can count on me. You can count on me on the hands team, on special teams, you can count on me to be an every-down player in the offense. And, Mike, the one other thing I think you notice when you watch this game last night is, you know, in his interactions after catches and everything with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, you can just see, he's he's treating him like he's been there for 10 years. It, it, you know, there's no... Well, this guy comes in from Coastal Carolina, you know, as a uh, as a guy who... Nobody really loved in this draft. Lasted till the end of the fourth round. And he's a guy who comes in and he plays well in training camp. Disappears a little bit early on in the season. But you could tell last night, Lamar Jackson trusts Isaiah Likely. And he's not surprised by Isaiah Likely. There's no great emotion around the team saying, Oh my God, look at this guy. It's like, okay, you're one of us.
0: 238 passing yards, a couple of touchdowns, and those 43 rushing yards we mentioned from Lamar Jackson last night. He found someone with a pay the man sign. A lot of Ravens fans at that game last night, too. You could hear them. Couldn't hear a lot of the crowd noise. Toward the end, you could hear the Ravens fans in the building. And look, Peter, Lamar Jackson still has a long way to go to force his way to the open market if that's what he's going to try to do through a pair of franchise tags. But this continues to set up to be, even though it's already been pretty awkward. It sets up to be very awkward when this season ends and it's franchise tag time. What are they going to do? Are they ever going to figure this out? And every time he has a good game, we hear the voices saying, pay the man. He hasn't had eight great games this year, though. He had three great ones. It tailed off a little bit. Last night, he reestablished himself on a national stage. There's still a long way to go, and the real challenge is going to be finding a way for – Lamar Jackson and whoever is helping him and Eric Dacosta, the GM of the Ravens, to have a conversation that can culminate in a middle ground that both sides find acceptable. And if Lamar Jackson is hung up on the Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed contract, it's going to take two years under the franchise tag for him to get a fully guaranteed contract on the open market. Or he's going to have to do what Deshaun Watson did and say, I'm never playing for you again. Trade me and hope that the Ravens go along with it because that was one of the big ingredients in Deshaun Watson setting up the opportunity to get that fully guaranteed deal. So we get reminded of it from time to time. It's not like they're going to work out a contract during the season, but that's looming. Whatever they do, however they finish, however far they go in the postseason, they got a mess that they still have to figure out when the season ends, and that's going to be one of the dominant storylines
1: in the offseason. Mike, the the reason why I don't think it gets to that in Baltimore, uh, you know, like Lamar, like uh, Deshaun Watson, I'm not playing for you anymore, trade me. The reason I don't think it gets to that is very simple. That the Ravens have a, a, com, a much more than competent structure. It, it, you know, they've got a head coach who's one of the best head coaches in the league. You know, at the end, Deshaun Watson just didn't trust Bill O'Brien and didn't trust anybody in that organization. And, you know, it, it, it comes down to, Lamar Jackson understands the way the Ravens work. Okay? And I think he knows right now that they are loathe. I'm not saying they absolutely categorically won't do it, but I will say I will be very surprised if they ever give him a contract that's fully guaranteed. I just don't see it ever happening. And one of the reasons that I don't see it is because of everything that has to happen in order for that to happen, okay? And what I mean is they would have to really, you know, sort of ruin their structure and their way of doing business. Ozzie Newsome, Eric DeCosta, John Harbaugh, Steve Bishotti. And it's just, it's not the way they do it. And I understand everybody out there saying, well, okay, Lamar Jackson is a unique person. I get that. He's a quarterback. You don't want to lose him. And I've tried to step to the edge of the cliff, Mike. And I've tried to think about this. And I've wondered, would they really lose him instead of paying him what they really think? And would they really risk you know, maybe drafting a guy again, and and this time he's Kyle Bowler instead of Lamar Jackson. Would they do that? I don't know the answer to it, but I do think there is a line of de- demarcation that the Baltimore Ravens will not go past to sign Lamar Jackson. And the problem
0: is, will Lamar Jackson go past his own line of demarcation if he has in his head? I deserve the same deal Deshaun Watson got. No one is going to tell me differently. That sets up for two years of franchise tag, and then Lamar Jackson becomes a free agent. Or, or... He makes a power play to get out of Baltimore to set the stage for the kind of auction, basically, when you get four teams to the table and they played it well, the Texans did, and Watson's camp. Hey, Browns, we're not interested. The Browns looped back around with the $250 million fully guaranteed contract, and that got it done. That's the kind of rare circumstance you have to arrange if you want that same kind of deal if you're Lamar Jackson. One last point on this, and this got overlooked because it happened – an hour or two before Jim Ursay went ham, as the kids would say, on Daniel Snyder ten days ago, D. Smith, the NFLPA executive director, told me during an interview, I wouldn't say told, strongly hinted, that a collusion claim may be coming against the league over this issue of fully guaranteed veteran contracts, fueled by Steve Bisciotti's criticism of the Deshaun Watson deal earlier this year after it was done. Bishotti broke ranks and spoke out against fully guaranteed contracts. The argument is any team can do it, and there may be a case, Peter, that's pursued by the union with Lamar Jackson possibly as the centerpiece of it that the league is colluding when it comes to refusing to give players like Lamar Jackson a fully guaranteed deal. That would alter the dynamics of this as well if and when that
1: happens. I mean I just I I look good for the union to stick up for the players and to stick up for guaranteed contracts but is there any human being on the planet anyone anyone who thought hey good idea browns to give Sean Monson a 230 million dollar contract that's fully guaranteed hey really a top idea That's how you build a great franchise, Haslam's. Great job. Mike, you know, if you asked any owner, what? first of all, maybe there is some proof that Steve Bishotti is talking to Mike Brown and they're talking to Dean Spanos and they're all saying, hey, don't give a guaranteed contract to Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson. Let's stick together on this. And if they do do that, then they deserve to be sued and, you know, to, they deserve whatever they get. But these guys are too smart to do that. And plus, they don't need to do that. Why would anybody ever do that? And why is it collusion to express an opinion that that's a dumb contract? Because it is a dumb contract. Anyway, that's what I think
0: it all came up because I was interviewing D Smith the day of the ownership meeting. And he said, oh, we call those the collusion meetings because that's the reality. These 32 independent businesses come together four times a year minimum to meet and talk and confer, and the management council is the straw that stirs the drink and discourages or encourages certain things, and there is a collusive element to that when you have a league office that holds everyone together and suggests very strongly what they should and shouldn't do, but that's how it all came up. Just keep an eye on that because it changes the dynamics. Win or lose, if they do it, it just adds something to this broader drama between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. You mentioned Mark Andrews' shoulder injury John Harbaugh, coach of the team, said after the game, it doesn't appear to be serious. Rashad Bateman aggravated a foot injury. The first-round receiver from 2021. It's also not believed to be serious. The Ravens just kept going, though. This is what you got to respect. It was the book, I think it was John Feinstein, years ago, Next Man Up, and it focused on the Ravens. It was the ultimate next man up last night. Guys were gone, and it just kept going. It just, that's the one thing I got to give John Harbaugh a ton of credit He has his team in a spot where if one guy goes down, another guy steps in, and they just keep performing at the level that Harbaugh expects.
1: Mike, you know what I thought of last night watching, you know, some of these, you know, the Devin Duvernay's and the Isaiah Likely's perform in this game. Duvernay was whatever, the 90th pick, um, you know, like three years ago. I forget what number, but it was somewhere down there. Now Isaiah Likely, number 139. You know what I was thinking of? I was thinking of the Christian McCaffrey trade and the San Francisco 49ers and how I had a long talk with Kyle Shanahan the other night, Saturday night, before the game. And I mentioned to him that, man, you know, all these picks you lose. Remember, Debo Samuel, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, George Kittle, All these guys, second, third, fourth, fifth round picks. And Shanahan said to me, yeah, you're right, but I can think of about 10 guys or for, for every guy you pick, there's 10 guys who don't work out the way those guys have. And I get it. And this is what I wrote in my column this week. So Jimmy Johnson always had more picks than anybody else. Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones, 90, 91, 92, 93. And Jimmy Johnson told me after he quit the game, he goes, listen, I wasn't, it wasn't that I was any smarter than anybody else making these drafts. I just built in extra picks. So I, because I knew I would fail on some of them. Some of them were not going to work out, but if you, you know, buy, and I'm making this up, he didn't say this. If I buy five lottery tickets, I got a better chance than if I buy one. And maybe you don't hit it all, but you got a better chance if you have more chances. And that is exactly what the Baltimore Ravens have on their roster. With all the extra draft picks they've had in recent years, it gives them a chance to make more mistakes. And knowing that they trust their system of bringing players in. And a bunch of them are going to work out. Some of them won't. And now if you're the 49ers, Mike, they have two picks, like around 105, two compensatory picks in the first five rounds of this draft. So of the top 160 picks in this draft. So all I'm saying is that this is a, it's a gamble by the 49ers. And just as, the four, just as the Ravens have been proven to be smart by hanging on to their picks, by loading up their drafts, now, you know, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be challenged to be able to do the same thing. And it's going to be difficult for them. The draft is all about
0: lottery tickets. The more lottery tickets you have, the greater chance you have to scratch off a winner plain and simple so the 49ers gave up for their lottery tickets may have been losers may have been winners we'll never know because they're gone and uh, an example of a team that has scratched off a couple of first round lottery tickets that have been winners in recent years the Bengals they got some bad news about one of their key players we'll tell you what it is and how it affects the Bengals as they get ready for a Monday night game when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this.